Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so excited for today's conversation where we are joined by both Elle Fanning and Joshua Jackson. Elle Fanning, who's currently starring as Michelle Carter in The Girl from Plainville, and Joshua Jackson, who stars as Christopher Dench in Dr. Death. Both of both shows share um, a lot of fabric with one another in that they both come from true stories, but also Patrick McManus is the co-creator and showrunner of The Girl from Plainville, as well as the creator and showrunner on, on Dr. Death as well. And given that you're both telling true stories and and portraying true characters. And there's such a wealth of information to draw from. I was interested in that space in terms of character development for you both, because there's so much information that you can pull from, but it's not just about going through all the research. It's about really finding the details that are going to be useful for you in terms of building character. So when you're listening to the Wondery podcast or reading the article that the girl from Plainville is based on, or the documentary that Erin Lee Carr made, who was also a consulting producer on the show and going through court transcripts, what were the main spaces and details for each of you that you really honed in on that helped you to find the essence of these characters in your performances? Do you want to go? Okay. All right, I'll go. Um, yeah, I think for me, I mean, this this case was very well known um, when, you know, when the, the court was happening, it was very highly televised and there was a lot of media attention around it. And um, I think the media definitely painted this case in a quite, you know, which they tend to do, but very um, one dimensional way. Um, I think Obviously, I was a little tentative to sign on to the project because these families are still alive and, you know, it ended in a horrible tragedy, a life was lost, and I just didn't know, I wanted to make sure that we were all kind of adding to the story or at least telling a new side of it. Um, and I think through talking with Patrick and Liz and, and everyone involved, I got to be a producer on it too. Um, which was, you know, a great responsibility, but also, you know, having that added pressure, I think really helped us bring the sensitivity we needed to every day. And um, I think just wanting to show this story in a little bit of a more unbiased approach and try to bring some sort of humanity to this character. I think with Michelle, you know, I, she's someone, you know, playing a character, you can't judge what they've done. You, you have to kind of separate your, it's like when it's like, as an actor, when do you decide to separate yourself from the real person and create a character um, on your own and someone who's, you know, three-dimensional and fully fleshed out. And I think for me, that kind of happened with our, our show kind of plays with the blurred lines between fantasy and reality a lot of the time. And so learning about her obsession with Glee and YA novels and kind of, she would kind of put herself in the star of her own YA show in a way. And, and I am an actor, so I live in fantasy land a lot of the time. And so in some ways I could, you know, small ways, but relate to living in that fantasy. And so that's kind of what clicked with me with her. But at the same time, I had to create you know, a character that was kind of separate from the real person. Um, of course, like physicality wise, you try to, those images are very well known of her. You try to get that accurate, but when it comes to the psyche of it, um, you know, I don't have to agree with all the things she did. And she's, you know, both of us are kind of playing these unforgivable characters, these things, they've done very bad things, but, you know, I, I can't, judge her for and I have to understand how she got there in order to, to play that so I guess that answers your question 
Yeah. yeah. I know there's so I many mean, similarities with us, with the kids. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's the, yeah. I won't just say ditto because that doesn't make for a good interview, but I think, yeah, so much of what you said is right on. Though I will say, you know, I was thinking about this in your case, the, mm-hmm. the, the documentary evidence or the, the public psyche evidence of your case is still, I think, so fresh in people's mind that you had the additional burden of people having a mental image of the person and maybe even some of the characteristics of the person. Mm. Whereas for Dunch, I don't think the case as it was happening left such an indelible mark, but that Wondery podcast really did. Mm. So people had less of a physical idea of who the man was, but they had a pretty specific idea of the, the who he was and why he was. So then the challenge becomes you have all of this massive amount of documentary evidence sort of around the person and you have to do exactly what Elle said, which is to stand back from your own judgment. I mean, this, that was the hardest, the first hardest thing for me to do with Chris Dunge was to stop judging him and start, start analyzing the question of like, well, from his perspective, what the hell was going on here? Like, is he a psychopath or is there something more ultimately scarier and more complex going on here where this man really saw him, it sounds in many of the same ways, really saw himself as the hero of his own story. And if that's the case, then what does that unlock about all of the things that we know that he did? And does that make it, I think, much more terrifying? Yeah. When you, you know, when, when you're both examining and then playing a character, a person who's living inside of delusion, (coughs) it's a dark place to get into. And the implications of that delusion are, are in some ways, you know, there's a, a joy as an actor of being given the opportunity to like work inside, create inside of that space, but you live in some pretty ugly psychological spaces for the time that you're in the character. And in similar ways that for both of you in building these characters, you had to come from a very specific place at certain times, but also create that freedom for yourselves. That also translates over into the way that you approach filming scenes, because obviously as actors, you need to leave an openness to discovery, really finding what's happening with your scene partner in the moment. But there are moments in both of your performances where you came in with very specific choices as well. You know, Elle for you and the girl from Plainville, the scene where you're mimicking Leah Michelle's performance in Glee is something that I know you spent a lot of time really studying and being very specific about. You know, Josh, I remember in, in Dr. Death, like that's that closing scene at the end, that was such a specific choice for you in, in not blinking that you came in with that idea already. And so what were some moments for each of you that you came in with a really specific idea that was so necessary for a scene against other spaces where it was really important to have that latitude of discovery in the moment? No, that's um, a- Can I actually even back one step back from that question it's a great question but also what it implies is having creative company around you that will allow you the space to do that because in a certain in a certain way what you're talking about is being selfish right as an actor coming in and having a very specific concept of what your character or this scene needs to be to accomplish its piece in the story and in that way in you are to a certain extent, you're making choices for the people around you, which is selfish, right? And you then have to be in the company of other actors and director and cameramen and everybody on down the list who is going to join you, or Patrick for that matter, right? A creative executive who is going to join you in that, like, I have a very specific idea of this thing. It is in service of the story, but it's going to require you to sort of 
bend around what it is that I'm trying to do. And if you are lucky enough, and I certainly was on Dr. Death, to have a group of people who are all on board with that concept of like, yeah, sometimes it is going to be selfish, right? Sometimes this character is going to, to warp the gravity around him and I'm gonna need you to, to play into that in order to help me do the thing that I'm trying to do. And I was very lucky to be surrounded by people who were on board with that. Yeah, yeah, God, that's so, yeah, so interesting because um, I know it, 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 a lot of the times too, even you saying like when, you know, coming to set and you feel like you know the scene and you're like, this is the choice I'm going to make, this is what I'm going to do. And you're like, whoa, like, yeah. all right. <laughs> you know, like the set looks nothing like what it was going to, I thought it was going to look like, you know, this actor is, you know, making their own choices. You're like, oh, I just saw it a different way. So, you know, a lot of the times it's like you can you know daydream all you want about it and then you're always kind of at least in my case I feel like I'm plopped in a situation a lot of the time when you're like huh how am I going to make this work you know and that's when like all the magic happens because it's so much spontaneity and um there there are things there that obviously out of the the little mistakes comes gold but um it, you know, we were talking about like that, that scene of the, the mimicking of the, at the end of the pilot. Um, that was an interesting day because I, 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 it's very written what the scene is supposed to be like. I think it's really beautifully written. And when you can see something so on the page of what it's supposed to be, it's like the, the anxiety starts to creep in because I, you know, I can imagine what it should be. And like, that's most of the time when I'm, you know, the night before I'm always imagining the best version of that scene. You know, I'm like, and you see, we all know what good movies are or good performances are. And you're like, God, if you're like, if it could only just be this, you know, it's like, and if I, and if I think about it hard enough on the day, something might take over and it might actually happen. You never know. Um, but in, I mean, in that case, it did take a lot of homework. It was more so the, you know, Leah Michelle in that case, I guess, was my scene acting partner. <laughs> um, and I had to, to kind of mimic her movements. Um, but something else interesting, I think, about our show, which um, Patrick and, and Liz did, is they decided, because obviously a lot of our show is texting. Um, and that was like another hesitation coming on, because I'm like, texting is very uncinematic and like I don't want to watch people text <laughs> in a movie I feel like it's a lot like the pandemic it's like we're living this every day it's like I don't want to watch people in masks you know it's the same thing it's like I don't want to watch anyone on the phone um and I think they really did a beautiful job of having this device um that Colton Ryan who plays Conrad and I when we have those texting it's like a fantasy like a texting fantasy so we got to play out those scenes um but it was interesting we actually kind of I had a scene, obviously he was my scene partner in that, but we were, because it's a text, there were certain rules about those fantasy moments of being, like playing the disconnection between us, which I've never played be before. Mm -hmm. So it was like, you know, much like texting sometimes with words, there's like a lost in communication or you don't know the, you, you know, misread the emotion of the, the writing and whatnot. And we tried to do those in the scene. So that was a different, I'd never done that before. Um, and Colton and I, we had a lot of fun, you know, that we couldn't touch in those scenes. And we even played with possibly like not looking at each other. I think ultimately um, we ended up looking at each other, but we were, you know, normally with another scene partner, you're always trying to listen and, and follow their way. But 
selfishly, weirdly, it helped to be selfish in those moments because I think our characters were each trying to, you know, we're, we're listening to what we want to hear. So um, those were interesting to do. Yeah. One of the other interesting through lines between your characters in, in different ways is you're both playing characters who who have difficulties in connecting with people in certain ways. You know, Christopher, we see a lot of the complexities in terms of trying to seek the approval of his father. Um, you know, he's able to be very charismatic, but doesn't really develop deep relationships with people. You know, and Michelle obviously was was struggling a lot with mental health issues and, and really hadn't connected to a lot of her peers. And then they both have external forces that come into play when they start to receive attention for different reasons. You know, Christopher starts to suddenly have a lot of eyes on him in terms of the work that he's doing. And at first it's good. And then it's it's more public sphere that's taking him away from the career that he envisioned for himself. And that's really when his ego comes into play even more. And he starts to see that godlike status in himself. You know, and for Michelle, it's very much that opportunity to connect with people. And, and like you were saying earlier, to be at the foreground of, of a YA story for herself. And so how did you both find the elements of character of what happens when they finally get this attention and this kind of almost adulation that they've been looking for and how that really impacts them psychologically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I mean, yeah, both of our characters are very much, it's like they're really seeking approval or seeking attention a lot of the time um, and trying to, you know, write our story that's going to be um the most likable like the most likable story or you know it's really ironic oddly but michelle carter in real life was voted uh, most likely to brighten your day in high school and i think that just says so much (laughs) (laughs) it says so much i know um but it's really i mean it's really heartbreaking and to 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 kind of dive in, I think for, with, um, with Conrad, especially, it's just these two, two people who were extremely lonely, who were, you know, seeking validation in each other. And I mean, even reading, you know, we had the, all of the text messages that they shared were available to us. Um, and that was very haunting to read them. But then at the same time, it, cause they only met a handful of times. It's, it so maps out, the like a, a such a young love story in a twisted way, but you you know you can feel the desperation and and the want and that instant gratification and kind of false sense of intimacy that tech, technology has and how tech, technology is so you know it's connecting them but really you know disconnecting them, you know, as cliche as it sounds, but it's so true. Um, And even the silliness of like teenagers and what they talk about and how open and honest they are about their problems. It's really two troubled people. Um, And like you were saying earlier, but it's kind of, and it sounds so stupid to say, but it is like a dark place to live because also during the time we were filming, it was, you know, five months we were in Savannah and it was during a very peak pandemic time and just go, you know, I would just go home at the end of the night and felt, I think we can all in some ways feel like we've felt pretty isolated these past couple of years. So um, it's to play a character with that 
that want and then to watch the transformation I think because both of our shows span many years so it was for me too like thanks Patrick but like to keep the time the time like I'm like what year oh my am I god in? oh my god I know I would I would come to set and be like, I had no gray hairs before I started that show yeah. this is all Patrick McManus yeah. <laughs> it's just like I know I'm talking I'm saying so many things but it is true it's like the that was really something that I thought about a lot of like wait so what phase is she in her in her life and then in the courtroom to watch mm. her you know just become such a shell of a person and then listening to these best friends that all she wanted in the world was for them to love her and then they're saying you know I was never friends with her and we never wanted to hang out with her I mean a part of you you can't help but feel for that. I think we've all been in high school with mean, <laughs> mean girls and experienced that dynamic. And um, I, I, you know, just tried to, I guess, I mean, it wasn't that long ago for me, but still to just to remember that time because um, it's such a vulnerable time, such a delicate place that you're like balancing every day. It's high drama, <laughs> high drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the on the, on the Chris Dunch side, there was absolutely that that desire, that deep need for approval. But then at some point there was also, you know, he created a fiction of himself. And it turns out he was very, very smart, possibly genius level smart. So he was able to, to piggyback off of that ability and create this fiction of himself as the great doctor, the genius, the, the wonderkind. And for a time in his life, he was actually able to pull it off. But, you know, in some ways, I kind of feel like fame does this to people too. It's very hard to continue to evolve yourself as a human being after you are really observed, I, I found, right? Once you know that people are watching you, it's hard to just evolve independently of that feeling of like, oh, well, now I am a thing. I have a, I'm a creation of other people that must be fed. And, you know, that, that takes some learning and some doing. And if you already have a, a you know, if that's combined with a, a, a deep emptiness inside of yourself that, it, that needs to be constantly filled with approval, that's a very toxic combination. And again, if Chris Dunch had gone, if his life had gone through a couple different gates, like there's just a couple left turns that would have taken him into the place that he wanted to be, which is, you know, this well-respected research scientist who, who, you know, everybody loved and thought was wonderful. And, and his life took a couple turns that got him to the place where the fiction of himself was so ingrained in him, right? That by the time that he had stepped out of his comfort zone, which is research and into actually practical application, doing the surgeries, there was no reality that could pierce that bubble, right? So anything that came in violation of his sense of self had to be their, their problem. That had to be you not seeing my genius. That had to be other people trying to pull me down because I was so far ahead. And I think, you know, in the same way that I was saying, you can't help but feel sympathy. There were times where I'd be thinking about this man and just like, wow, God, a hug could have saved so many lives. Like if somebody could have stepped in at some point and, and, and just allowed this person to feel held or, or loved, I think maybe we could have saved, but you know, then I wouldn't have had a job. So, um, 
but you know, it's just, it's such a, it, you, it is such a intense experience to be inside of this, this space where you're playing a real person. And as Elle said, you're, you're talking about people, you know, the survivors who are still alive. So you have this responsibility to, uh, to telling that story in a, in a, uh, in a compassionate way that, that, like she said, adds something to the total, the, the story that has been brought into the world, but you also can't help but I, or at least I couldn't help but feel uh, a, a deeper empathetic response to him. Like at so many places along the path, he failed himself, certainly. He certainly failed the people in his life. He, he catastrophically failed his own patients, but he was also failed as a human being. I mean, something, so many pieces of him had to break before we, we get to Dunch at the end that it does, you know, it, it, there's a part of my heart that aches for that, that man and all the pain and suffering that he caused in the pursuit of just being told that he was good enough. And Elle, you know, you were talking there about the, the court scenes towards the end of the series and, and that feeling that Michelle was really a shell of her former self and, and, it's interesting with both of these characters, we really get to watch the idea of the futures that they've imagined for themselves be completely eradicated. You know, for Michelle, it's kind of twofold. It's it's the life that she thought she was gonna have in general and even the life that she thought she was gonna have with Colton where she tells his mother like, you know, we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. And, and that was what she thought to be true at that point, you know, and with Christopher as well, everything that he envisioned in terms of that version of himself that he began projecting completely eradicates. And, and so for Ella, I was interested for you in where you felt that turning point was where everything really starts to fall apart and she confronts that reality. And actually for you, Joshua, I was interested in if you feel like Christopher ever did confront that reality because we see him so held on to his beliefs towards the end, even to the point where he can't allow his defense lawyer to use the defense of yeah. he wasn't a very good doctor. And Josh, I'll come to you first since I'll start, started the last one. <laughs> um, I just like to put all the pressure on you every time. <laughs> you, think I'm, you think I'm trying to be nice and gentlemanly, but I'm not at all. I'm not at all. I know, um, I know the tricks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, I think you, you hit it right on the head. For Dunch's response to that pressure and seeing his world rattle apart was actually to double down, right? He went deeper into his delusion. So the more pressure, the, 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 more, the, the farther away he got from the reality that he saw for himself, the more intensely he believed in that reality. So yes, he put he pushed away his father, he pushed away even his attorney, he pushed away anybody and everybody who could have possibly helped him because anybody who would speak truth to him, right, which would help him through his case was was outside of the bubble of his delusion. And and you know, in in ways small, I can actually understand that. It's it's you know, we've all gone through the experience of of telling a lie. Right. And you have an off ramp after you've told the lie to be like, eh, I lied. But if you don't take that off ramp, the next time it comes up, now it's a big lie. And then you're like, oh, man, I really don't. I didn't want to cop to this when it was small. And I really don't want to cop to this now that it's big. And so you miss that off ramp, too. And you just keep on increasing the pressure and increasing the pressure. And most people eventually crack under that pressure. But for Dunge, he his I think his entire psychological existence at the at the towards the end is built upon maintaining that fiction. I think, you know, for him, that's a, that's a almost a physical life or death existential question for him. If he cannot see himself as this, then there's nothing. 
And so for him, he would rather, and look, he should be in prison because he, he murdered his patients. But he, for him, there is no other version. He would rather spend his life in prison than have to grapple with the reality of himself. And that's a very intense place to live. Yeah, man. <laughs> Intense. I mean, look, we're actors. We like live in delusion most of the time, right? The, exactly. Like, yeah, I can do that. I can totally yeah. do that. I'll figure it out. No problem. <laughs> but, but even I was like, wow, guy, wow, that's impressive. That is like a very shackling house of cards that you have built for yourself. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, I guess it's it's very similar. I mean, it's hard for me to know. Obviously. Um, you know, I, I'm assuming you didn't talk to Dunch, did you? No, no. yeah, not me. I didn't talk to Michelle. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if this character that we that I've played, you know, Matt, you know, of course, we, we have talked to people and a lot of information, but I don't know if it matches her exactly. I think, you know, it's hard to know if she ever had that light bulb a moment of realizing what she did. I, I think um, in the in the last episode, we kind of again have this moment where we get to go inside Michelle's fantasy and, and it's in her mind of what could have been had she made different choices. Um, and in that moment, she kind of is confronted with what she has done and the guilt kind of pours out of her and there is a moment where you think, oh, maybe she does realize possibly, you know, the, the you know, that her words, um, you know, what, what her words have, have done. But, um, you know, at the same time, I, I'm not really sure. I think for us, we had to, it was hard to figure out how to end the series because obviously the story is not something that you can wrap up. And we also weren't trying to change the story. I mean, she went to jail and that's, that's what, that's what happened. She is out now, but, um, you know, we're not trying to overturn the verdict or anything like that. So, um, I know. And, and when you talk to people about this case, you know, there's so many opinions, like everyone has an opinion of what they think is right and what she did. And, oh. you know, it's like, yeah. Do you remember, did you, did you remember this case, Josh, or like the, your case or my yeah. case? Yeah, mine. Your, your case, I, rem I remember seeing it in the news because I, cause I yeah. can't even remember where I, what was the year, I guess, like 2012, 14? Uh, it was 2017, I think, when... Oh, you know, okay, so even more recent. Yeah, yeah, a little more, but... So I, I generally remember, but I didn't, you know, I, I'm honestly, I don't, I, I don't follow don't cases high. like this. Like, you don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> like, well, I have Wi-Fi now. I mean, I'm not a Luddite. Come on. Um, but like, I remember when it came out, and, it, and it's what when we were when I knew we were going to be doing this interview, I was just thinking about like the additional challenge for you of exactly that. Like, uh, uh, even me who only had a surface level contact with the, like, oh, this girl did this, and like only the headline level understanding. I still have an image of the girl in my head and I have an image of, or, or some base recollection. So you have that overlay. Cause I, I know from my experience on, on Dr. Death, like so many people that have listened to that podcast that yeah. everybody has an opinion of like, Oh, well, he's a psychopath. That's why he did it. He did this because of that happened. It's like, right. 
okay. Maybe. You, know, yeah, you had to show the, I know. I remember my, I think my sister's a big podcaster. So she listens to everything. I remember when she listened to it, she's like, this freak, like this crazy guy, like he's killing, you know? Um, so I, I definitely remember, um, definitely remember, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your question. I'm like, I don't know what your question was. <laughs> you have a new question. <laughs> no, I, I love all those details. And, and I'm kind of going back to, to something that you were both touching upon earlier in terms of, of that collaboration and that real active listening as actors, particularly with scene partners. You both have these really complex court scenes where your characters are sitting there and your performance is so much about active listening within the scene. It's not about you delivering dialogue and a wealth of lines and monologues. It's about sitting there and hearing all the things that other people are saying about your characters. And it was that were those scenes and filming those moments for both of your shows, a very different exercise and dynamic in, in terms of what it required from you. Yeah, yeah. I oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I felt like it was too, for sure. Um, yeah. I know there's a part of you that's like, like I need to sit back and <laughs> like, I don't have to say anything. <laughs> um, there is part of that. But then um, I think especially for Michelle, that's also when her, when the look of that, you know, that she's kind of known for with the eyebrows and, the, the physicality of her, that's that courtroom look is when, I guess, when that's unveiled. So um, getting that right and very, you know, particular facial, you know, facial expressions um, that I did have, all I had to watch of her was the YouTube in court, like, um, like the, they had that videos on, on YouTube. But other than that, for when she was younger, there's really nothing else. There's not much of her speaking or anything like that. So um, those videos helped a lot. But then you also don't want to be a caricature of a person. You have to kind of figure out, well, yeah. why, you know, why was she making those faces? Because they were really intense grimaces and the eyebrows are slightly even veer like cartoonish, you know, I think. And for me, I have no idea why she had her makeup that way, but I kind of created this idea that it was more like, um, like war paint that she kind of, she's such a, she's a really beautiful girl, like very kind of nymph looking. And I think putting those harsh brows on was kind of like, I don't know, like war paint every day to like kind of make her look expressionless. That was my theory, but it's probably completely wrong. I think she, you know, people think she really looked like Cara Delevingne and there was possibly that she tried to look like her. There's like a lot of theories out there, but um, I, those, those days, we kind of, we got to shoot all those together and they recreated the, the courtroom was uh, a model, like in a studio of a version of what the real courtroom looked like. And um, I actually really, those were some of my favorite scenes to shoot. I, I, I loved it. I, I, cause I really felt like we were listening to the trial and we would take really long, it would just be long takes of hearing, you know, whoever was on the stand that day. And um, Liz Hanna, who was our co uh, show, showrunner on the show uh, directed those courtroom episodes and um, she's a really good friend of mine and the first time she's directed so that was special and we just had like a real good we were just like locked in and I felt like continuity goes out the window like because it's all one you get to kind of recharge every time you're with each take so you can kind of do whatever you feel or take a sip of water or just kind of be there how how probably excruciating it would be sitting in that chair how uncomfortable for however long and hearing yeah. your best friends you know testifying against you so it just it felt so real and in those moments 
you don't have to do much, even though, you know, there's, there's a lot going you on. You got to do a little. Yeah, yeah, I have to do a little. A director once told me, less is more, but nothing is still nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Sometimes you um, ever feel like when you're like, you watch yourself and you're like, you know, you thought that you were doing the hell so that much in the scene. And yeah, then you're totally. like, why was I worried about this scene? It looks like I'm doing nothing. <laughs> why did I care? I, it is one of the first, like one of the first big lessons for me way, way back was like, you need to just disassociate yourself from whatever your opinion of what you think your face is doing when you're acting from what your face is actually doing. Cause you're feeling all sorts of things, but some other thing is happening. And, and so long as you can be right with that, you'll be happy in the long run. Funny. Yeah. And those courtroom scenes, I mean, <clears throat> there were for it was we shot it in much the same way. We we recreated the the set. We shot in what's called we block shot a lot of that. So basically you'll jam, you know, you put the cameras in one direction and you'll shoot numbers-wise, like six or seven scenes in a row. But from a continuity standpoint, it would feel basically like you were in a trial and the actors all brought their A game, God bless them because there was long chunks of dialogue in there. So you would literally just have somebody come to the stand. They would give their whole spiel. They would be interrogated or cross-examined and then they would leave and we'd bring up the next person. So you definitely had that opportunity that I was talking about to really actually be in the experience of, of like there's, you know, courts are boring. And part of what is difficult to shoot, but also difficult to perform is, is marrying the two pieces. Like the stakes are incredibly high, but the moments are grinding. And I think in a different way for my guy from Elle's Girl is, whereas she maybe got to that place of, of some piece of understanding. And Patrick and I debated this a lot when we were shooting it. I, I think that Dunch started, like reality started to creep in. And when it did, that's when he shut it down. Like, I think that was the, the final moment where he was like, nope, I, I would rather be in prison than deal with this. And I also had 60 pounds of prosthetics on at that point. So <clears throat> I was, it was, you know, if you saw misery in his face, a lot of that was just my physical being in that moment. <laughs> and then, you know, lastly, you've both talked a lot about the the delicacies and the intricacies of telling these stories. And for Christopher Dunch, you know, there's family members of of people that he operated on that passed away that are still around that are there to pretend, you know, you don't know if they're watching the show or not. There's people who were injured by him horrifically who are still alive watching it, you know, and for Michelle, there's obviously Conrad's family who are still around and, you know, in, in terms of telling these very truthful stories and, and these portrayals, did you find that there were conversations or any particular moments which were about finding the moment which felt the most grounded and the most truthful versus making a decision which was maybe a little bit more of this would be really dramatic and play really well on screen, but instead just always making sure you took it back to that space of intimacy and making sure that you were really honoring the grounded truthfulness of the stories that you were trying to tell? Well, I'll, I'll jump on that sword first. I, because I, there was never a moment in the shooting of our show where we felt like we needed to push. The, the story is already so insanely dramatic. And if anything, it was the, going in the opposite direction and finding, and, and I just wanna again, highlight like, it's a real joy being in a company of great actors. 
and 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 having the the safety net of like okay here's my idea here's your idea let's put it on its feet see what happens and 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 we can be bad in front of each other right like without judgment we can be bad and that's okay we'll find something good out of bad and in those in those in those occasions where you do a take that's over the top it's you know maybe just getting the letting the gas out um but we more than anything had to find had to continue to make sure that it was rooted in something that felt like real human beings interacting with each other because even though the story is truth right and even though the mileposts of the story are actual truth right like verifiable things that happened the you know the dramatic conception of the story as it's portrayed so that we're not just remaking the podcast um is is fiction of a sort and the stakes are so insanely high in both stories but for for dr death the stakes are so insanely high and you know ultimately that this man is going to do unspeakable things and so it would be much easier to make him a mustache twirling psychopath because it would be safer right if he's a crazy person a true out and out crazy person we're all okay you just have to weed out the crazy people and we'll be fine but if he's not, if he's something more complex and he's supported by a system that gives people like him a pass because of his education, because of how he looks, because of how he presents, because of his class, because of his race and his sex, that is a much more pernicious thing to try to root out because now you're in a much broader conversation about how does culture and environment and profit motive and, and, and support a human being like this to allow them the space to do this kind of damage and so in the mix of all of that all of that big externality right you have to find the small humanity and so that was always the job is like bring this back down to reality so that these are people interacting with each other and we're not leaning into the fact that you know and i know that this man is going to be a fucking butcher by the end of this story mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think that um, it's very similar in the way that, you know, this, the, you know, this, this case was deemed the texting suicide case and case and it riveted the nation and it was very, it's almost, you, you can't believe it when you hear it that something like this happened. So I think our job was to do the opposite of to not sensationalize this story, to not romanticize this story and to really try to tell a grounded version. Um, also from, I think the, 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 the grief and the journey of grief that uh, Chloe Sevigny plays Lynn. And so she is so amazing and it, at portraying that pain and really, showing that, which the media did not talk about. I think also showing um, Conrad's life and like the boy that he was, that he wasn't just um, a victim. And he's really known, you know, he committed suicide and that's kind of the only thing that anyone would ever talk about in this. Um, and I think getting to know um, who he was and the backstory of him was something we wanted and to live just more in the gray of it all um, and to not really form an opinion and let the audience form the opinion. And, and yeah, I guess just like you were saying, it's these stories could get so big and wild and to so weirdly what interested us all was to bring it back to reality a bit more and um, actually like pull back when you feel like, God, it could push in this crazy direction, but it's like, I was more interested. We all were in the kind of tamed down version. Um, 
of it. Yeah. Yeah. Similar, it's very similar. I mean, they're both such incredibly intricate performances with with a lot of delicacies. And I think you've both done really fantastic jobs with both of these series and really appreciate this fascinating insight. And especially with with a lot of the, the threads that kind of link them together unexpectedly. So thank you so much to both of you.